This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are speaking with Kim Durbin, the director of an upcoming 2020 VCE Theatre Studies Unit 3 playlisted show, Running with Emus, playing at La Mama from the 11th of March. These questions are designed for VCE Theatre Studies Unit 3 students, but we also discuss a number of other topics related to theatre, so it may be interesting to all audiences. Without any further ado, I bring you the Director of Running With Emus, Kim Durbin. Uh, We welcome to the podcast, Kim Durbin. Thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Are you okay today? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic. We've done our first run of the play on the set and I feel quite excited about it. Well, to be in that position, to be running this early, that's brilliant. Yeah. To, to be running with emus, in fact. Exactly. Why not? So uh, this production's coming up March 11th. Uh, you opened for at, at La Mama and you've got a performance just before that as well? Yes, we're going to Kahuna, which is where Marilyn Moss lives. And people always call her Moss. So if you hear me talk about Moss, that's who I'm talking about. She moved to Kahuna a few years ago because she wanted a place to write and she wanted to live in a, in a regional setting. And so she's a newcomer to the town. And so it's really, I think, a wonderful thing for her to give the premiere of this play. So we're pretty excited about going to the community that inspired the play. And also, um, when you see the show in La Mama, you'll see that it's set on a veranda. Our preview is actually being performed on a real veranda at a place called Treetops, which is a scout camp. And so we're going to be outdoors, site-specific, amongst the trees. And I think it will be lovely, but it will also be inspirational for the company when we go indoors and we have to take what we've learned from an outdoor setting into an indoor theatre. It's kind of interesting. How will the context of the original script be interpreted in this production? Uh, The play is a brand new play. And so when you're doing the premiere of a brand new play, you don't know what you're doing and you have to sort of step forward from the beginning. Um, And it's a naturalistic play or that's what it appears to be because the dialogue is very ordinary. It's very simple for people to follow. It's spoken in many cases by real people. But then as time goes along, I think the audience will observe that uh, there's at least one character who may or may not be real, or if they are real, they're not living in the same time stream as the rest of the characters. So there's a character there called Raphael, and um, he becomes a visitor to Pat, who's the leading character of the story. She's an old lady living on her veranda and she gets into these chats with Raf, who is uh, an immigrant, he's an Italian, he speaks fluent Italian and cautious English and then it becomes apparent I think that he's either an angel or a ghost. The story reveals in the end who he is and why he's there and I won't spoil that but consequently It's a play that has a little bit of a a slipstream going through it because Pat's an old lady, she or an older lady. I mean, we were discussing this this morning. In the script, she's 76. 
these days women who are 76 are still as young as everybody else and zipping around in their cars but this particular older lady is probably stuck a little bit in her memories as well and she seems to have let go of her daily life she's a hoarder and so she's filled up her house with so much stuff she can't go inside the house which is why she's living on the veranda she doesn't really talk to the audience as such but we become the witnesses of her story because in her mind we are all birds she's decided that birds are more interesting than people and so it, it would be a wonderful thing we're starting to go into the symbolism of the different birds that are in the play and We've got apps about the bird sounds so that we can hear the difference between an ibis and an emu and a magpie. But obviously, one of the characters in the play is Indigenous. And so what birds mean to him is something different, which uh, doesn't always mean the same to people, certainly from the city. Um, and so there's these three guys there. They're kind of interesting to observe stylistically because on the page, they're called Chorus. They never call each other Chorus. In fact, their names are Goose, Sparrow and Pie. And they appear to be, you know, three guys who are just hanging around, not exactly making trouble, but they're certainly full of themselves and they're full of opinions and they're very limited in their imagination. But when you look into the way they operate in the play, they do operate like a Greek Chorus and Moss says this is deliberate that they are the kind of running commentary on the story that's going on for the real people in the play. And so sometimes something will happen for Pat in her house or on her veranda um, and then it will get picked up and echoed or played around with by the chorus. And, you know, we've only just started our rehearsals, so we're still trying to work out what is the function of, of that kind of acting style and how does it work. But we've already come up with the idea that, on the one hand, these guys are like elders because they're very wise. They seem to know everything about everything. But on the other hand, they're ridiculous and they're very limited. So they're a bit like clowns. And so we're trying to work out at the moment in rehearsal, what do you do with elders and clowns together in one kind of image? But stylistically on the page, all of their dialogue is very short and it's very rhythmic. So I think in the end, as we get used to the script, We'll be working a little bit with those scenes, in a sense, in a musical way. I think it's, it's really clear from your description of what's happening there that this new play uh, doesn't need to be recontextualised or changed. It just needs to be brought to life in a way that you see fit for today's audience. Do you think... That's right. Do you think That's right. Because also we've got a bunch of actors in the company who are, I guess the term would be cross-generational. And this is always something interesting to observe when you're looking at a performance. We've got older actors who've got lots of experience and we've got younger actors who are recent graduates from the Arts Academy in Ballarat. And we've deliberately put them together in this story and we've also been supported by Regional Arts Victoria to do that. So it's an interesting thing to observe when you're watching older actors and younger actors on stage. Are there any differences in the way they approach their work? And if there are, do they bring different energies? I mean, uh, one of the characters in the story is um, Pat's granddaughter. And so she's written in the play as a, I think she's 38 years old. And yet she gets referred to, or she thinks she's the younger person in the play, but of course, her grandmother at one stage says to her, you're nearly 40. And so, in fact, 
uh, one of the themes to look for is just, is it really old people who know how to run the world or is it young people, younger people with their inspired ideas who want to change the world? And really, I guess, that the play is saying we need both of them to make things work. Well, well that's an important social political message for today. Mm. Uh, so yeah. In your opinion, and I understand that this might be early days um, coming up, but I'd love to hear. In your opinion, what is or what are the most distinct theatrical elements of this production or your interpretation of this script? Well, this morning I was looking at the way it is structured and it seems uh, a bit televisual in the sense that how I think about, you know, a screen acting scene is often that it's very short, that when you're doing things on screen, you'll get rid of a lot of the, the words because the pictures can do the story for you. So that's one kind of element is that it's, it's got lots of short scenes and lots of longer scenes and the rhythm between the two of them is quite interesting. Why do some scenes go for a very short time? Why are others longer and more discursive? Stylistically, that's something about the way Moss writes, I believe, that she sometimes wants to pick up, as you say, uh, a political or a societal argument and really lay out all of the detail about that and make it very fulsome. On the other hand, she's got a very dry sense of humour, so she can actually make a lot of good points by saying not very much. And so sometimes uh, Crystal, the granddaughter, will be going on and on about politics and Pat, the grandmother, will just undercut her with four words. And so it's interesting stylistically to see the way the play shifts between those things. And then I suppose there's something a bit uh, operatic about it. You've got a chorus and you've also got an Italian guy who keeps breaking into Italian. And so there's something very, a bit more poetic going on. It's like the play, if you like, is a bit like landscape. It's got... Um, grounding underneath and it's got vegetation in the middle and there's sky above and it's almost like the writing is going from one of those to the other. Is Has that inspired any design choices or directorial choices from your point of view in terms of the La Mama season? Yeah, that's interesting because um, when we go and do it outdoors, we can't use lighting out there because our performances are going to be in daylight. So it's a lot like doing a Shakespeare, which people are all used to, but we have to, in the script... Uh, Moss has been very deliberate to tell the director and the actors with each scene, whether it happens morning, evening, dusk or night time. And, of course, we've got that problem in the country of how do we nominate those time changes. And we, we're thinking at the moment we might be using lanterns, just like you would in a Shakespeare, to let people know it's night time. Of course, when we go to La Mama, which we've not finished designing yet, we can do a lot with light. So I'm imagining that the time of day, whether it's day or, or night, is going to be really important for the indoor performances that we do. Um, because there's something that happens in this play, especially at night. Things that happen at night are very intimate. So I'm imagining that there's probably going to be some low lighting at different times. And also a couple of the actors have to play more than one character. And so we're looking at, uh, and Moss doesn't give them any time. You know, writers sometimes don't bother about this. They think, oh, well, the actor can play two roles. But the physical actor then has to rush off stage 
may not have time to change a costume, might just change their body or their voice to make that difference. So I think lighting will be able to help us there. Um, but that's kind of to be discovered. I think the, uh, the physical setting is something that's come together with the designer. We've got Adam Gus Powers as our designer and he's also the stage manager. So Gus is a director as well. He's a multi-talented person. And so he's pretty savvy about um, physical environments. And he's actually built a day bed for Pat's character because she's sleeping out on the veranda. And then he went to Kahuna and he's collected a whole lot of stuff. So a lot of the furniture and the props and the incidental details that are there have actually come with us from the country to La Mama. Um, and what we're talking about at the moment is trying to build up that, that rural setting because we don't have the real trees that are there. We might have some pieces of trees or some logs or wood to build into our set in La Mama, uh, but we're still designing that. So it'll be interesting what you finally see when you come along. Yeah, but the, the intention is for the performance to appear naturalistic or realistic to totally uh, get us in, immersed into that world. But then also there'll these, be these magical realism, time jumps, character transformations from within, or is the set itself also a, a bit non-naturalistic? That's correct. I think you're right because I think, um, well, it's something I puzzle over all the time when I'm making theatre. We know that it's not real. And so because we know it's not real, I often find people's attempts to create intense naturalism quite uninteresting. And by that I mean, you know, they build a room that's got a ceiling and it's got light switches and people come in and switch on the lights. But really, you know, they're not doing it. And I think a lot of the theatre that we make, if you think of the Carlton Courthouse, it's kind of Brechtian because we can see the lighting grid above us, even if we're not looking at it. We know that there's a stage manager up the back doing the sound, especially if we got bored before the show and we're looking around trying to work out how it all got made. So these days, modern theatre doesn't make a lot of attempts to make something real. And I think that's a real struggle when you're trying to understand theatre. What's the difference between real and true? What's the difference between real and natural? And I think when we're having these discussions about putting wood on stage, we're, we're just trying to get elements. I think that's the best way to think about it is that when you're using materials on stage, you, you know, we've got bedding for Pat because she has to go to bed and we're not going to do that in a symbolic way. But then where she thinks she is, even inside herself, is not so real. And often when she's on stage and people are talking to her, she's not looking at them because she's thinking about something else internally. So it's an interesting problem also for older people. How, how solid is the world? How real it is? And if you look at the way Pat behaves, we were laughing before because I think in nearly every scene, she's either drinking coffee or sipping red wine and we were laughing about the fact that she's going to be very full by the end of the performance. Those things are real, but they also symbolise her dependence on something to keep her going because she's quite obviously not eating properly or looking after herself. She needs stimulants. So in, in this style of theatre, I suppose we've stripped out the things that we don't need to tell the story and we've tried to leave in elements that will we'll be symbolic of 
things that we all know to be real. Well, okay. Well, I mean, what a fantastic discussion. <laughs> I think that's interesting for all and good to know contextually walking into that performance. So uh, I think you've hit on that, that next question that how will the production or design choices or direction enhance audiences understanding of the, of the play's main themes. Uh, you, you've talked about some of that, but I wonder if there's any element of the design or your direction that you haven't spoken about that, you would like to mention? Well, I think one of the one of my fun things in the theatre, if I'm working as a director, is how do you use time? So uh, actors who work with me, maybe you remember this, I get pretty obsessed with how long is the show, how long is each scene, does it really need to take that long? Um, and at the moment I'm trying to work on uh, how can I get the text to be continuous? So without having pauses, unless there, there are definitely pauses written into the script. But otherwise, if we have to wait all the time for one group of actors to get off and another group of actors to get on, I get really bored with that. But I've also puzzled over it because I think, well, uh, the way we watch screen acting or the way we look at our phones now, everything is instantaneous. We're not prepared to wait. So then what I'm, I'm interested also in silence in the theatre. There's a few sequences where um, people come in and nothing happens quite yet. And I think those things are really interesting. But mostly I find now even my attention has changed. And, I, you know, once in my life I used to think a four-and-a-half-hour performance was an excellent thing. And now I can't wait. I just want it to get on. So I think um, I haven't finished making the production yet, but the stylistic elements of how to create a use of time, how to use sound, because there's a lot of um, bird sound implied in the script and maybe a little bit of music. So how do I blend all of those things to make it seamless is going to be something that I want to work on. And then at the moment uh, with the setting, We've got it downstairs. We've got all the elements we want to use. But um, Gus, the designer, and I were discussing this morning the fact that it looks a bit neat. And if she's really a hoarder, we, somehow we've got to mix it up a little bit and make it messy or make it more uh, casual as if somebody didn't bother to think about how they were living. So by the time we open the show, I'm thinking that the setting might be more crammed full of things. And I know at the moment we don't have them, but there's a lot of plants coming. So they will fill up holes in the setting. And also when we do it outdoors in Kahuna, it's a massive, massive site. When we do it at La Mama, it's a small site. So we also have to work out as a group, you know, how do we inhabit a smaller space and what does that mean? And, does it mean we have to work smaller as actors in the space? I haven't really worked those things out yet, but that will be something to look for. Great. Yeah, uh, especially how the stage manifests, how the staging manifests her internal feelings, those, those hoarding feelings. That'll be interesting to see that created on stage. Uh, so for students of theatre studies this year and for the next few years, we'll be studying the idea of elements of theatre composition, that theatre and, and direction and design uh, revolve around a series of different concepts, which are cohesion, motion, rhythm, emphasis, contrast, and variation. They obviously interrelate and they don't exist uh, on their own. Is there one of those elements that you think uh, the piece utilises more than the other or one that jumps out at you that you think uh, 
the students might think about when watching this performance of Running With Emus? Yeah, no, I, I think definitely uh, rhythm and tempo in this production, they're important concepts that we're working with. And um, it's interesting that the actors, you know, they just stumbled through their first walkthrough. They've only been together two and a half days. And when I congratulated them for their work, one of them said, yes, it's a good script. And so I was coming upstairs thinking, yeah, okay, what is it, what makes it a good script? Because I think the same. Um, and people may or may not think that, and that's fair enough. But I guess uh, it's a play that deals with contemporary issues. So it's looking at a small country town, proposing the question, should it become a refugee-friendly zone or not? So on one level, you can watch the performance in a narrative sense. You can look at the beginning, the middle and the end, look at the plot and see, you'll see how the characters change. You'll see them pick up on one another's uh, ideas and you'll see those ideas come to some resolution. And as I said in the beginning, that all appears to be naturalistic. But then what's breaking into that conceptually is um, there's a kind of a theme of memory and how memory gets shown on stage, you know, in performance, the way actors work, whether they look each other in the eye or not seems to be important because obviously, I don't know, if I was doing a scene in Neighbours, that's all they do is talk to each other and look at each other. No one ever looks off camera because that would change the story. But in a play where an actor looks, whether they look at each other, whether they look out at the audience, whether they look at the ground or look at the sky, always those cues are giving people different energies to watch for. And that's, I guess, where emphasis comes in. So rhythm and emphasis might be important. So, yeah, that's really important there. And emphasis comes in. But also I think uh, if it was just a play that had a narrative structure, um, it would really only need maybe three characters because there's Pat, who lives on the veranda, there's Crystal, her granddaughter, and there's Jim, the mayor, who I haven't talked about, but he's kind of one of the oppositional figures who doesn't want this refugee-friendly zone to go ahead. And you, that play would happen. That would be quite an interesting play. But Moss doesn't leave it there. She's got this chorus of guys who hang around the streets, spend some time arguing about what a refugee is. They talk about reconciliation they reject people, they're full of opinions. So they're like, they are like a Greek chorus. They watch the action and they dissect it. And that's one kind of interruption to the narrative. Uh, and so I guess what we're dealing with, I was trying to look at this thought before, I guess that makes it Brechtian because it's in episodes. Uh, and the episodes are not always linear. Sometimes what happens will jump forward or jump back. And then you've got this character, a Raph, who's um, from the past, a ghost, an image or an angel, we don't know. Why is he there? How can he be there in real life? Do we believe in ghosts? And if we do, it's not, we're not doing that very old story called The Ghost of Mrs Muir, which is about a, a ghost captain living in the attic with this woman. We're actually talking about somebody who's coming out of the landscape a little bit. And so... That there's a spiritual dimension to this play, which is more about memories and dreams and desires than it is about what happened when, you know, a boy met a girl 
And so that really makes it, uh, it's episodic, but then it's got something more metaphysical going through it. Wow. What ace play. What a script. <laughs> I love what seeing how this manifests itself on stage. Thank you. Well, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Kim Durbin. Thank you, Nick. If you would like to find out more about running with emus, go to lamama.com.au. That is all from us at The Aside, but there are a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>